0: Hey, everybody, welcome to ADD Masterminds. I'm Bridge Livwat.
1: I'm Bridge (laughs) Livwat. He speaks another tongue. I
0: can't even say my made up name clearly. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm I'm Bridge, and I'm here with Jimmy the Talking Table. Yeah. And the girl.
2: Hey, boys. (laughs) Uh Hey, boys. I love that. (laughs) Hi. I should do it like a higher pitched little really feminine voice.
1: <laughs> should I should I that be my character for today? Yeah. Your character. Hi. We're doing characters now? We should. <laughs> let's see if I can let's see if I can stay in character for the entire show. You sound really with you the sound rejected really <laughs>
0: <laughs> well they, everybody's turning into cartoon characters on twitter i saw so that. i mean it makes sense to do cartoony voices
1: why not sure let's go with it
0: oh jimmy you did do a cartoon character picture of yourself too
1: i finally gave into the pressures of society It's killing me <laughs> <clears throat> <sighs> okay And so I was just like, okay. Since she gave in to the Russian hacking trolls who are going to steal our identity, since they already have pictures of me, so I might as well just join the club.
0: It's like you're under, like, like one of those people who get their voice modified, you know, to be
2: (laughs) protecting his identity.
0: Pretending, yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, so. Uh, everybody's turned into cartoons and just Bezos is going to space. Yeah. I am kind of hoping he wouldn't come back.
1: Why? Why don't, what do you have against Bezos? He's just
0: like, (laughs) he, he looks more reptilian overlord than any of the reptilian overlords. Is it because of the thing of his eye? Oh, it is. It is really tough. I can barely understand you.
1: Okay, I'm going to switch back to normal voice. Sorry.
0: Uh, yeah, Elon <laughs> Musk. Okay, hold on, hold on. Ranking, definitive ranking. I, I, I think you're right. Number one would be Elon Musk. He looks the right. most reptilian overlord. Um, Jeff Bezos is, is second.
1: Is it because of the Popeye that he kind of has? With it, like, mm-hmm. like, That's kind of
0: interesting, like, like, too. Like, you got lots of money. You think you could fix that? Well, I know, I mean, like... With Maybe Forrest, Forrest Whitaker, right? Like Forrest Whitaker is a guy that's got an eye thing going on, but I think he's deliberately kept it because he's right. like, no, it's part of my character. Yeah, which is it, cool. No
1: longer when you see him in a movie, you no longer you're like, hey, it's that black guy. You're like, hey, it's the guy with the eye. You know, that's.
0: I mean, <laughs> that's one of the things I love about TikTok. Is there? Like, there's like a lot of people with disabilities or even like facial facial, you know, abnormalities. that's the right word to use um you know like this lady who has like a like a scar on her face she's got like a um she's got a birthmark on half of her face but she Mm. like did her hair really funky and it just it looks awesome it's like people are rocking whatever they got and i think that's really cool
2: oh that is cool and the great other great
0: thing about TikTok is it's another way for foreign governments to spy on us like china yeah yeah
1: do-do-do-do-do.
0: See how I avoided saying China, and then oh, oh I'm sorry, I do, we,
1: do, we don't do politics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so Jeff Jeff Bezos is uh going back to his home
1: planet. I, I saw somebody talking about like, why doesn't he just like? How do we know he's not going to go crazy and just float into the sun?
0: I mean, he let someone else take over as CEO, didn't he? So yeah, that's crazy. Oh, that's Amazon right. will he's still just be fine.
2: He's going to stay there
1: now. Well, yeah, he's, he's like basically
0: up. like a figurehead at this point. He's like the queen of Amazon.
1: He's like the chairman of the board or something, but he's not going to be involved in the day-to-day running of the company. He's going to just pretty much show up and say, "I vote we do this," and then go float around in space.
2: Like I,
1: I hope fun. they sell tickets on Prime.
0: Do you have any interest in going to space?
1: I think it would be kind of neat just to prove all the flat earthers wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I'd probably have to lose weight and jog more and stuff before they let blow me up into the hemisphere. So that's a negative Ghost Rider.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't make it past space camp. I get too motion sickness-y. Yeah. Be, I will not make it.
1: I just the get the feeling go. there's
0: nothing there. And so I'm like why am I hey. flying up there for so long?
1: All the satellites they have in orbit. You get to see all those. That'd be kind of cool.
2: Those things are there. I, I it's so final. Like if something goes wrong, you're out in space. It freaks right. me out. Like you're just so far. <laughs> I don't know. You ever you ever day. like
0: ever ride a sea-doo? No. So. Like a jet ski or whatever?
2: No. No. Yeah,
0: I I remember we went to somebody's cabin and they had jet skis. And I went and rode on this jet ski for like like about an hour. And then I'm like, it might've even been half an hour. And then I'm like, all right, I think I'm done.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it was
0: just like, that was kind of fun for a little bit, but then it got boring. I'm like,
1: I, uh, there's nothing to do. Like I'm glad you didn't go spend like $10,000 on a new jet ski. Like this Uh,
2: is going to be my thing now. Right. Did you have somebody else? I feel like that you would have to like be on jet skis together to make it fun, you know, like race or Uh, shout. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I guess we were. I don't know. It just wasn't that exciting. Like, I think a jetpack would be more fun because you could see a lot of different cool crap, right? Because you're like, okay, I'm going to go look at that cliff over there or whatever.
1: And then the fact you're flying.
0: But I kind of feel like in space, like most of the trip, it's just like, oh, look, it's black.
1: You know? (laughs) <laughs> I Maybe know. just one of those I don't think orbits. that's been the. I don't. I think that's been the exact reaction of zero people who have been to space, though. <laughs> all, all. of them have been like, "Man, I need to do something really dramatic, like read in the beginning there was light, and you know, wait for the the sun to rotate around the Earth or the ro- ro- Earth to rotate around the sun." I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> and like you know, do all sorts of dramatic stuff. It's never been just like, "So this is space."
0: I, I feel like you got to have a lot of time on your hands to sit there and watch, like stuff move I mean it's not like you're Earth going anywhere else. else yeah yeah I don't know I'm just convinced that going to space is dumb <laughs> but I I might have gotten that from like listening to J, J, uh what's his name Jesse Carey
2: I was gonna say it. he thinks space is boring yeah who's, yeah
0: I think maybe he convinced me
1: who's I think he he's
2: he's, re, he's relevant he's unrelevant.
1: the is relevant he, podcast has he been to space
2: he went to space yep. camp he oh, did space know that. I know that. Yeah, I yeah. Know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, the crazy thing this, about space—we watching space a movie is... where space went totally wrong, so I'm staying here.
0: I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty excited though about Sad Astronauts when that album comes out. It's uh, Kevin Max's podcast, mm. or sorry, podcast <laughs> album, his music album.
2: His music album, a his record. Music album,
0: yeah which will be all deconstructy and stuff. I think
2: I'm excited for that.
0: Yeah. In space, no one can hear you cry as your religion falls apart. (laughs) It's going to be great. Okay. So is the Southern Baptist convention as corrupt as Twitter believes it really is? I was actually talking to a friend yesterday about uh, a lot of the abuse that happens in the church. And he kind of said to me, well, don't believe everything Twitter says about the SBC. And I was like, well, I'm not really assessing, you know, how much abuse is going on based on what Twitter says, but I do think that there's something going on there. Sure. And it's funny to me that like someone like Al Mohler is like, I want to be president and we're going to make sure we stick to the Bible or whatever he has to say, but he didn't say anything about the abuse. No. And it's like, that tells me that there are people that are aspiring to leadership That don't really want
1: to deal with this right but you know the way the entire sbc is set up is like all the churches are independent of one another so they don't really police behavior uh they don't really police how you handle things so you know they don't have some sort of like uh, judi- uh, you know judicial board or anything you don't get brought up on charges if you screw up or anything the only thing that can ever happen to your church is they decide you can't be you know you can't wear the name on the door anymore and that's pretty much it like
2: oh interesting
1: yeah like because of their independent fellowship of churches like everybody sees the SBC and they think denomination is the biggest denomination in the United States or whatever and then they imagine like it's the Episcopal Church or the Catholic Church or the The Methodist church and they have no structure like that whatsoever. It's just a loose fellowship of churches that say, Hey, we believe these things in common, these 16 points of doctrine. And for the sake of doing some larger cooperative works and sharing ministers, you know, helping churches find ministers, should they need a church to find a minister. That's pretty much the extent of their involvement with one another. Um, they're, like they have no like territorial bishops or anything like that, like the or cardinals or things like the Catholic Church has um, who like all these people overseeing all these things. It's kind of like they do some missions work together. They print some Bibles. They maybe fund some seminaries and they kind of put all their money in a collective pot and then kind of try to, you know, do some things collectively. um, But they don't have like these sharp, rigid structures. So it's kind of like they're theological polity almost prohibits them from getting too involved in the abuse scandals of other churches just simply because it's kind of like, hey, this this isn't, that's not how we govern ourselves. Um, and so they kind of leave it up to the individual churches to figure out the individual church's own mess.
2: Huh. I definitely didn't realize that. I thought there was more oversight hierarchy.
0: No. Okay, but I... Okay. Am I am I right though that SBC stands for Sexy Baptist Convention?
1: I wish. <laughs> I don't like, know. Sorry, sorry got-
0: guys. What you're doing is not sexy anymore. So I, I, you're I got- you're out of the convention.
1: When I when I came to the know the Lord to get water <laughs> baptized, I joined the Southern Baptist Church. I thought the preacher's daughter was pretty cute. So. And this was when I was 17, just for the record. So it wasn't like when I was like 28, you know, Yeah. (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah. I don't know.
0: It's tough. It's a tough, tough issue. And it's coming out about the church and um, it kind of, it plays into a lot of, you know, talking about gender roles. And there's just like the SBC, when people are conversing about the SBC, they're talking about, gender roles, and they're talking about abuse. And the more I think about it, the more I see that those are all interrelated. Mm. And it's like when you put power people in power over other people, all kinds of messes happen. Mm. And so it's it's tough. And I'm still kind of on this Jesus and John Wayne kick. So I'm like, yeah, this is messed up. And so I, I think it is messed up. But is it a mass conspiracy? Well, if these churches aren't really linked in the way people seem to be saying they are then it's not really it can't really be a systemic issue with the sbc but it could be a theological issue that's causing it
2: right mm. right so it's just a church issue like in general then mm-hmm. which is might be scarier
1: i yeah, i think scary. it would be good though that if even though it's you know just a loose fellowship of churches that even if the leadership of the denomination, like those who are you know appointed as president and stuff of the larger you know overall structure, loose structure network of churches or whatever you want to call it, like they could still speak out about it and say, hey, you know we've heard lots of rumblings about these things. Here's some practical steps, um, and we could create a rule that says, hey, if we hear of you know X things, we are going to disfellowship you from the SBC and. You know, like, because we're going to be above board on this. And maybe they could do something. But at the end of the day, all those churches would just be like, yeah, okay, we'll just be independent churches. Mm-hmm. We'll be independent Baptists. <laughs> yeah, it's,
0: Baptist. it's, really, it's really sad what's gone on with all of this. Because I think, okay. like, the church has kind of an air of, you know, like, we, we tend to, like, the church tends to look at, secular society and say we have superior morality right because we believe in you know no sex before marriage and the world is saying we believe consent is the highest ethic Mm
2: -hmm. and it's
0: like I think we might have missed the boat here because we're more concerned about covenant than consent and I'm like ideally you've got to have both and so it's it's interesting. Like, I don't, it's funny talking to Kootenai girl, who's like just totally sex positive and all about consent. But she said, you know, like Christianity should also be about consent. Like it's our relationship with God is consensual. And I'm like, dang, that's a really interesting place to go with all of this, because it's like, I think when we talk about all these uh, deconstructing Christians and how people are trying to attack them and all this stuff, I'm just kind of like looking at it, and I'm like, and I think the fear is that if we're okay with Kevin Max, he's going to lead the masses wherever he's going, right? And I think that's, I understand that's the fear, but I'm like, when the prodigal left his father's home, the father didn't look at the older son and say, don't turn out like him, right? Right. And you kind of get the sense that the father was like, okay, like you're gonna go sow your wild oats. Yeah, here's your inheritance. See ya. Right. But it's like you have a sense that the father's like, I'm totally, I'm totally gonna be ready to receive him when he comes back, if he comes back, right? And I think that that when I look at all these people who are struggling with their faith, I feel like the father's still waiting still waiting for them. And it's like, I'll, I'll I'll be here for you, whatever you need, right? And I don't feel like the church is doing that. right? No. And so I think that this, I hope that, you know, this can humble us and we can look at, you know, what, do some internal work on the church and look at it and say, maybe the world has a better sexual ethic in a way because consent is so important. And, you know, purity culture really kind of preached this whole, like, men can't control themselves, so women have to make sure that they don't cause men to stumble, which, and I I think there's varying degrees at which that was taught, because I was never in a position where I was like, okay, well, oh, well, she's wearing that, therefore my lust is okay, right? (laughs) Like, I, I never believed that but it feels like there are certain areas where that was almost taught.
1: I'm not sure, sure it was taught as just giving a wink and a nod. Mm-hmm. Boys to, will
0: be boys. Yeah, yeah, boys
1: will be boys. Like, mm-hmm. But I mean, like for my experience, I know like Promise Keeper stuff that I was involved with, like yeah, I, I heard very little about women as far as like their need to Play a certain role, and the the onus Mm. was always on my need to own up to my calling in Christ, to control my own sexual lust, to make a covenant with my eyes not to lust upon a woman, um, Mm. and things of that nature. Um, So yeah, like uh, Job, I remember learning that right. right. And so, like, that's what was drilled into me. Yes, I heard. You know, I I, in my experience, like I, I saw. Women be hard on other women for dressing a certain way yeah. in the church. Um, like uh, when I was in the Pentecostal Church of God, um, mm-hmm. my ex-fiance that I dated, she had long hair down past her mid-back, um, and she had never wore a pair of blue jeans until she was 18 years old. And then, um, and her mom always wore a skirt. Her mom never cut her hair her entire adult life. Um, and so, and no makeup, no, very minimal jewelry, if any, um, even amongst, uh, ministers, they may not wear wedding rings because that could be considered immodest, um, and flashy. Um, so I I think everybody's had different experiences of course, but I know at least from where I stand, um, and I think, you know, living in the Bible belt, I got a good exposure to a lot of it. Um, Mm. I think uh, I, I definitely heard more onus. Now, I did hear crap on women, um, but uh, the way I understood it is I was always supposed to be the master of my domain, so to say. Um,
2: right. I think, I I mean, I remember um, at some point, high school and junior high, like boys and girls got separated for like Sunday school. I guess they thought we'd be more manageable that way. And we got very like heavily, you know, like, you guys are responsible for how guys see you and Mm. what that brings up and how and there was a dress code in church that you know people got kicked out for like from sunday school for not dressing appropriately Mm. to sit in the hallway for 40 minutes before service which (laughs) never made a lot of sense to me but um and i feel there it set us up for a lot of like you know, judging of each other in mm-hmm. in seventh grade of like her skirts, just a little too short. You're supposed to be able to bend your knee and feel it in the crease so that, you know, it's long enough. Like, I don't know, we were taught very much, you know, so, and, but we were, we were also half Gothard. So, you know, take <laughs> yeah. that with a grain of salt, yeah. but very much taught. And then that's, that's br- brought with me into my adulthood of, you know, like, can I wear this? Is this okay? Like, I don't think I wore like a V-neck until I was in my 20s or something of just, Mm. is this okay? Is this too short? Is this tight? Is this a problem? You know, like, can I wear this to church? Can I wear this in front of your friends? And I care less about it now, you know, just more like, I'm comfortable. I'm fine. If I were to suddenly dress insane you know my husband would probably be like well this is new what's going on here you know this is different what's up but there was there was a lot of a lot of pressure and you know just that somebody else's husband was always a big deal of like You know, you know, we're you're surrounded by like 15, 20 guys in youth group, you know, maybe you'll marry one of them, but not all of them. So that's somebody else's husband. You gotta dress the right way around somebody else's ha- like we were 14, like that's necessary. Stop that. But that's crazy. Yeah, there was a lot of pressure on you know, just how other people reacted to us. It was it was a thing. It was a thing
0: yeah and I I think you know like a lot of a lot of control there and I think you know like and you know there were very strict things about my upbringing too you know kind of out of fear of you know like what the world would do to us right and so then you raise the next generation and you're like well I want them to understand the world Mm -hmm. but it's kind of like well I don't know. I'm kind of making this up as I go along, right? And that's parenting. But I I don't want to give them, you know, like super hardcore structure and tell them what to think. And so raising kids, you know, that think for themselves, and they're going to think for themselves.
2: Right. Right.
0: And there's a certain amount of risk in that. But it's like, I'm somebody too, that's grown to I don't know, I feel like an outsider in the church a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking for myself too. And so it takes you to interesting places and it helps me understand people like Kevin Max. I'm like, hey guys, leave him alone. He's figuring things out. Everybody, everybody relax. Um, All right, so what's up with folks baptizing their babies?
1: it's always like a subtweet thing on Twitter going on. It's like, I've never seen so much obsession with, with.
0: baptism.
1: Yeah. I've like, like, it's like something I've seldom been exposed to up until like the last couple of years on Twitter. Like, I know know churches that do
0: it. There was a guy that was like saying, I left my church because I'm now believe in baptism.
2: I saw that.
0: And I'm like, and I think, you know, like, it, it stems from like, there's a guy in the Bible that got his whole household baptized, right. right? And so it's like, okay, well, maybe I'm not 100% against, you know, baptizing babies, but I don't know. I, I think it's really awesome to give people the choice.
2: My church does it. Um, we only had my uh, my youngest while we were attending and just didn't end up doing it. Cause it's just not something that either of um, our families um, really ever did. I was baptized when I was like 13 or 14, I guess, but um, a lot of them do it. And then they do confirmation later. We go to like a Lutheran brethren church and you know, nobody was like, you had this baby. When are we going to baptize? But now they're starting to talk about it. And now like my oldest is nine and she's been like, why didn't I get, can I get baptized? She saw her yeah. older cousins get baptized a little bit older. And I was like, well, yeah, sure. Now like that you want to, but I went through their membership class and like everything about it, there's a basis for it. I still just don't know that I agree with it entirely. Like I can see both sides. Nobody just pulled it out of thin air. Both sides go, yes, you can because of this. No, you can't because of that. And I'm like, eh, yeah. I'll sit in the middle and she can just decide when she wants to, but yeah. I find it fascinating.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm against it, yeah. but I don't really understand why I'd have to do it.
2: I just like, don't I think, like dedicating
0: yeah. your child in front of the church. And if that's a form of dedicating your child in front of the church, cool.
2: Right. Yeah. No, I don't know know think there like... was something saving in it, which makes me go, yeah. well, okay. So if God forbid like baby passes beforehand, you're going to, do we believe in perga Like, what's happening there? You know, I think or-
0: there's like an age of innocence stipulation,
2: right? <laughs> which again, i get that's why. pulled that's pulled out of thin air. Which is I, like, what is that? I you know, know it's nuts. And
0: I'm just like, all I these, love the like, pastor, and he was like, we would never
2: say that a baby who passed would be like in damnation. And I was like, well, then why does the baby need to be baptized? Was like, well. <laughs> I can't really just whatever. So or I. Or why do we no, let we it live go forward past
0: but. like the age of innocence? Then you know, like it's mm. kind of like this kid kind of looks like they're they might reject their faith at some point. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're showing early signs of apostasy. Oh that's, that's no! Good. No, I, you know the thing is with the Corinthians, <laughs> you know, allegedly the Corinthians baptized their dead, and the Apostle Paul, you know, didn't make too big of a stink about them doing that so i figured if paul didn't make too big of a stink about them baptizing for the dead then you know maybe it's okay if somebody baptizes their baby Um, but they shouldn't be opposed to me saying hey you know i'm going to grant you that then maybe when you get older you want to get baptized again just because you know, your parents did this thing to you and you would like to experience Jesus because you've made the choice to follow Jesus. And, but of course that upsets them because they're almost always in that camp. They're almost always, um, you know, Calvinistic predestined. So the idea that you would make a choice to follow Jesus would be bothersome enough for you to you know, articulate something like that. So of course they baptize you as a baby because, you know, God forbid you ever make the choice to follow Jesus as an adult um <laughs> you know and make the choice to get baptized as an adult that would just wreck their theology I think Maybe. religion's so silly get it is sometimes <laughs> the games you play well,
2: well there's the title <laughs> right.
0: yeah. well it, it's like yeah and I mean like it's it's like I said my god's pretty chill so I'm like I, I don't think he's gonna be like well technically this was the kind of baptism you got so it doesn't count so eternal away from me right right? the weeping and gnashing of teeth you go right i don't know anyways um all right working from home well it's funny because uh i'm gonna keep working from home because i decided to rock on um the girl you work from other people's homes
2: Often, often, yep. Yeah,
0: so there's not really an office. But yeah. so really, it comes down to Jimmy. Are you going to work from home forever?
1: As long as they let me.
0: Yeah. You think they may return you to the office eventually?
1: I hope not, because now that I'm at a new company, the office is in Cleveland, Ohio, and I live here in Charlotte, North oh. Carolina, so...
2: Oh, that's a hell of a commute, isn't
1: it? Yeah, <laughs> and my wife's already told me that I we're never moving to Ohio, so... If my company values my employment and me doing all the awesome things that I do for them on their behalf, they will continue to let me work from home. If that ever becomes an issue, well, I get a notification on LinkedIn about once a week of somebody else that wants to hire me to work remote. home. Wow. so.
0: I think there's a lot of companies that will try to force the issue. Sure. People come back to the office so that totally. they can keep a closer eye on some of their employees
1: which is ridiculous. It's not like you see most of them anyway. It's like yours, like most managers I know, it's not like they're sitting there looking at their employees work all day. No, they're like answering emails, answering phone calls. They're, they're too busy. Like half the time, like I've worked in the office, my managers, I didn't even see them on a daily basis, even though they sat like three or four yeah. rows down or three or four cubicles down. Like, so I don't know where this idea of seeing somebody, you know, is like, you can monitor people's activity through technology now and you know if they're typing on their computer and exactly what they're typing so if you need to know if they're working or not just look at the logs and see what their production was for the day and what they did it's not like you can't trace that stuff so i'd be
0: intrigued to see like if that actually ends up being commonplace where we keep a lot of people working from home will that make a difference in global emissions um Mm what's that going to do to office spaces, you know, downtown in these cities? Because I know like our downtown was pretty vacant before COVID because there were a lot of issues with the oil and gas industry. And so it's like, if people aren't returning to the office, what happens with all these office spaces? Are we going to have to right. figure out maybe build more residential in those areas where there used to be offices, right? So I, it'd be interesting to see like, if this has a lasting effect well I mean clearly nine eleven had a lasting effect and so I think this is the only thing we can kind of compare it to maybe right. COVID-19 right. will have a lasting effect too on how we do work and how much we commute um what are you talking about designer doggies oh my
1: goodness <laughs> oh. Ever since our dogs have died over the last couple of years, um, and our one most recently, just a couple months ago, you know, my wife and I have been looking at getting a different dog and, you know, we're not in a rush to do it, but we've been trying to talk about the different types of dog we want. We want low maintenance dog that doesn't require more haircuts than I do. And, you know, things like that. Something that doesn't shed a lot, something that we can pick up, something that is, you know, friendly, good dog, and that sort of stuff. So we've looked at a couple dogs, and we were like looking at a um, a uh, French bulldog, and mm. I'm like oh, French bulldogs—they're so cute with the big ears and the little bodies and the little I hands. Love them so like, much. But they, they are. But you know how much they cost? Uh, they cost two five. arms
2: and two legs. Yes. Yeah. They
1: cost. They cost five thousand dollars. Yep. Um, and they, I'm like, well, maybe I can get a cheaper one. And People are like, no, you don't want a cheaper one because if you do, they have. They're probably usually poorly bred. They've been neglected for a reason. Um, And if you find one under like this certain price, you can guarantee to get a dog that's going to cost you twice as much because it's going to have so many medical issues um, that and you're going to spend $10,000 just trying to take care of it and doing surgeries and stuff. And I was like, what the heck? And I found out the reason why this dog costs so much is because it's only been around about 100 years and 80% of the dogs for French Bulldogs that exist exist only because they've been artificially inseminated which got me to thinking what were they doing 100 years ago because apparently these dogs can't really naturally breed like their their physical posture the way they've been designed and bred requires artificial insemination in order to make them breed now it happens occasionally but i'm like that they breed naturally but it's apparently very difficult the way their parts are all aligned and everything for that to really ever get figured out by the dogs. Um so it's more so, than and, I
2: wanted to know about those dogs. And,
1: and like I'm and I'm sitting there thinking a hundred years ago they didn't have artificial insemination methods that we have today. So what exactly were they doing? Uh, <laughs> to breed these dogs. Um yeah. But I digress. So, but I mean, it's like, and then we started like, okay, we've ruled that out because former big banker that I am, I'm not going to spend $5,000 on a dog. Um, and especially like if I have a $5,000 dog running my around in my backyard, chances are somebody else knows about and They're just going to reach over and say, Fluffy. And then walk off with my gold brick that's named Fluffy. And so we start looking at other dogs and, and they're like, it's like, holy crap, there are so many dogs that are bred that are expensive. And most of them these days end with the name Doodle. Um, it's like become a thing. I know so many people with different type of dog named Doodle at the end. And that's they're crazy. all like $1,500, $2,000. And it's just like, man, that's still like, that's too rich for my blood. like. Right um i was like our mutt that we had he lasted 17 years he outlasted the two other dogs which were purebred german shepherd and purebred shih tzu uh and like so he outlived all of them so apparently there's something great about just a good old-fashioned american mutt um so but he he also had issues so
0: so there's too many different kinds of dogs yeah so let's eliminate some
1: if we're going to eliminate them, can we at least, like, you know, put them on a smoker or something? Well, what's the age Keep of that?
0: innocence for
1: dogs? <laughs>
2: for dogs. <laughs> Forever. They're always, they they're
0: all, they're the always puppies. They're always puppies. Always puppies. Uh, kill kids, kill puppies. All right, let's move on. No. Uh How receptive are you going to be to handshakes and hugs post-COVID? Um... Are you you guys are post covid?
1: Pretty much here.
0: Are I you?
2: I mean things are opening more and more. It's it's looking better.
1: I mean things are still shut down for you, aren't they, John? Yeah, we're getting there, but yeah, we're you,
0: not quite opened up yet.
1: Yeah, like everything's pretty much open here. Um well,
0: I I don't know like how common was hugs like outside I was never of a hugger. family? Like, I mean, some churches, maybe some people would hug, but it wasn't crazy common. I think handshakes, you know, I think handshakes will probably just come back. Yeah. There'll be old school people that want a handshake and I'm not going to refuse them.
1: Somebody offered to shake my hand recently I did, but it was like probably the first time I've shook somebody's hand in a year and a half.
0: Did you spit on your hand first? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I gave him the I gave, him the I gave him the I gave him the limp like where you actually grab three fingers sort of thing. Uh no. You <laughs> must, um, must have thought you were very manly. Uh, very manly as we got. Were ready. you making
2: that voice from the beginning too? <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Oh no, I, I right now I'm kind of happy with the fist bump.
2: Mm.
1: Um I I'm still a little nervous, even though I know I'm vaccinated and most people that I know are vaccinated. Um and so i but it's just weird i've not i was never big on shaking hands to begin with but or hugs i'm just not a very touchy-feely person except for the people that I need to be touchy-feely with um but uh would
0: you touch and feel me
2: jimmy uh Uh, I'm so awkward in person. Uh, finger guns have taught, you know, served me well and they will continue to do so. (laughs) (laughs) There's one or two hugs, but most of the time it's just like, Hey, it's nice to see you and move along.
1: (laughs) I was kind of hoping the shin bump thing that people were doing, like the hopscotch sort of thing where they were just like putting their foot out and like kind of tapping it. Like, I was like, I was hoping that was kind of going to become a thing. I
2: think I'm just going to start
0: sloppy wet kissing everybody. Oh,
2: gosh. (laughs)
1: Start giving everybody
2: that is unforeseen.
1: (laughs) Do it at church, you will make the news if you do it at church this weekend. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So, I've been thinking about like when I was a teacher. Um, one of the things my principal had told me all the time is have high expectations for people and they will meet them. And he had high expectations for me, and I never met it. Um And I was thinking about like how, like within teaching you're taught that when you're taught to teach, (laughs) um, you're taught that there's a zone of proximal development. And so there's kind of a certain, certain level of learning a child can aspire to. So you don't, you don't teach above their head, but you don't teach them stuff. They already knew you need to give them something that's within their reach. And I was thinking about how that applies spiritually. And even like, if you look at like throughout the Bible, and I I love like Rob Bell's take on this, where he's just like, Old Testament is like, please, can you stop killing your brother?
1: (laughs) Please stop the killing. And
0: then when you get to the New Testament, there's Jesus saying, love your enemies. And you can see kind of a progression for humanity, their proximal level of development was got to learn to stop killing your brother. And then the zone of proximal development moved to where it was like, people were apparently ready to say, love your enemies. Although I think a lot of us are still not ready for that. Right. And so mm-hmm. kind of seeing that trajectory in the Bible, it's it's interesting to me. I mean, there's a couple of things, I guess. First, first is like, if that's the trajectory of the bible why are we using the bible to try to move society backwards you know we're like oh whoa 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 i think you're you're letting women do too much in the church we need to get back to what the apostle paul said but if that's truly the trajectory does it make sense to move society backwards right hmm. so that's that's one thing Second thing is, I think in how we deal with people spiritually, we need to look at what their zone of proximal development is. And so when we're inviting people to the church, you know, to be able to say, okay, but just so you know, these are the things we're going to require of you. This is the type of sexual ethic you're going to have to have. (laughs) And all these things, there's all these people are like, yeah, I don't think I can fit in with that community. You know, and so it's like, are we can we adapt so that we can meet people where they're at and find things that it's like, well, okay, well, where are you at right now? I can see that you're struggling with, you know, depression. Let me help you with that and figure out how to help you with that. Instead of saying, Oh, by the way, I see all these sins in your life that I don't have. (laughs) But anyways, what do you think about the whole trajectory thing, Jimmy? Is that crazy?
1: I think there's something to it, Um, but at the same time, I also see instances in the Bible where Jesus just like blows everybody up Mm because they can't handle it anyway. Like, you know, hey, young rich ruler, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. Well, That's too much for him. Or, you know, Jesus telling the disciples that, hey, you know, you need to be eunuchs. That was too much for them. Um, But at the same time, I see Paul kind of you know, meeting, um, you know, uh, in the book of Philemon, he was with Onesimus, he was kind of like dealing with uh, the runaway slave issue. And instead of just saying like, hey, yo, you know, you shouldn't have slaves because that's a sin. um, And so we're going to kick you out of the church. He was just kind of like, he gently persuaded him and saying, you know, this slave that you used to own, dear brother, he's now become a brother in the faith. He's become very useful to me. Have you ever considered letting him go, you know, I'll reimburse you for the loss that you're suffering, you know, and it was a kind of a, a gentle diplomacy over something as egregious as slavery. Um, so I think, you know, it's kind of almost like what somebody needs to hear in that moment um, that will determine if it's going to be the gentle prodding nudge of, you know, yeah. maybe, you sh- maybe you should let your slave go dear your brother. Um, maybe you should let him free um to versus sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me um where how you judge what that's going to be for every individual i'm not sure i I guess it's ultimately going to be spiritually discerned in the moment yep that's
0: true i mean it reminds me of uh do you remember uh tony campolo where he's like uh last night thirty thousand people or thirty thousand children died of starvation or he said i'm going to tell you three things sorry First thing, 30,000 p- children died of starvation. Number two, um, most of you don't give a sh- about that. Number three, most of you are angry that I said the SH word. Yeah. Than you are that there's 30,000 children that died last night.
1: Right.
0: And it's like, okay, that's like, that's a big truth bomb. And that probably hit most of the people in that congregation, if he was right, very hard.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I,
0: I don't know if hearts and minds were changed, but it's like one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> Cause I'm like, it's like, where, what, what are we really supposed to be appalled at? And so I, I think you're right. Sometimes it's time to drop a bomb and sometimes it's times to time to give a little gentle nudging. anything to add the girl?
2: I don't know. I'm sorry. My my brain is drawing a blank right now on this <laughs> one. Um I think I don't know. I I like that. I just also w- with actual teaching, we've been homeschooling now for like 2 years and there's there's definitely been times that I'm like, well, I'm going to read this to you or show you this or whatever you're going to and they'll absorb what is just what they can you know what yeah. is kind of age appropriate what they can yeah. handle and you know sometimes i think that that's the way to go but then also you know you don't want to overwhelm either the thing with the trajectory and i hate the slippery slope nonsense but I, yeah. the trajectory kind of goes like all right well I, yeah we can see um from you know just please please don't kill your brother to yeah. but also love your enemy I don't know that we necessarily know where it goes after that. No. So like, I think that becomes a little bit, it could become dangerous of like, well, this is the trajectory that things were going. So let's continue that way. I'm just
0: thinking, I'm just thinking that it's like, I can
2: just make anything up. Stop
0: killing your brother. um, Love your enemy. And now love Satan. (laughs) That's the next step. There's nothing in between.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, Satan. It just it it dawned
0: is. upon me as you were speaking. I was like, "That, that's, that's the new progressive way."
2: <laughs> that's, that's buy your what, Satan
0: shoes, dance
2: to play devil's advocate. <laughs> we don't know where this trajectory ends up. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: and it's interesting too that Jimmy brings up slavery because I'm like, mm-hmm. there are people that are still trying to argue that slavery is okay according to the Bible, and I'm like, I, I don't care. Like, I really don't care because yeah. I mean, like even Paul, like I don't get the sense that Paul was hyper anti-slavery, but it was like slavery was a fact of life in that time. And so he worked with it as it is. And I think there's a number of things that Paul worked with as it was. And if we continue that whole trajectory kind mm-hmm. of mindset, it's OK to be anti-slavery now. <laughs> and there's no <laughs> reason we
1: all just say, agree well, hold on. Paul yes. said, Whoa. "If you're a slave, you Man, your master. John, so, not all the slaves to
0: go back to their masters, right?" Like, I don't go- know if
1: that's in some people's proximal development there, John. <laughs> not, not today. I p- pump the brakes. It may be the 21st century, but it's only been 200 years, John. It's only been 200 <laughs> it's years. Only been 200 years. Not ready. 150 that's- or something. 1865, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a
0: lot to root that kind of stuff out in a country too, without getting political. For sure. I mean, we just discovered um, in Canada, I don't know if you heard about this, but we just discovered 215 I bodies saw that. of children mm. at a residential residential school. Yeah. In I heard something about Kamloops, that. Kamloops, BC.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's like the whole strategy was that it was like a joint effort between the church and the government to basically get the Indian out of the child. Mm. And so they were trying to get them to not speak their native tongue. And I, in some cases, there was actually skin bleaching that went on. Mm. It's, it's so messed up. And it's like such a messed up part of our, of our history. And it's like, you look at that and you say, well, yeah, that's awful we did that back then good thing we got it all fixed now. Right. And we don't right. like, we have indigenous reserves where people don't have clean water. And it was really interesting. Cause I, I, saw a TikTok of one of our politicians and it's like the guy who's like, he's not obviously not the prime minister. He's not the opposition leader. He's like third in line, right? Like it's the third party. Um, guy right who was like just basically like somebody was saying to him like if you were prime minister you're saying you would solve this water issue and he's like what's your plan like you're just gonna sign a blank check and and solve this water issue and the guy looks at the reporter and says if toronto didn't have clean water would you be asking this question if vancouver didn't have clean water would you be asking this question i was like nice whoa <laughs> <laughs> but it's like he's right like it's like it doesn't matter what the cost is if we've got people that don't have clean water why aren't we fixing it right so so there's a lot there's a real reckoning that needs to happen between canada and its indigenous people and so that's kind of that's our thing right now so come come canada today um there's a there's a story about a little girl who um, got sent to a residential school. So basically these children got taken away from their parents. They were sent to the school and the whole idea was to kill their culture, right? And I mean, 215 kids were killed. And it's like, what under what circumstances? <laughs> a lot of abuse, obviously. But it's like, that's genocide. Like at that point, yeah. is genocide. And so, um, but this little girl, she was kind of excited about her first day of school and she put on an orange shirt and she was all excited about it. And then when she showed up, she found out what it really was. And so in Canada, we have one day every year. I can't, I'm not sure what the date is, but, um, there's a day every year that we call orange shape or orange shirt day, where we remember these residential school victims. Hmm. And so, um, come Canada day, I'm going to wear an orange shirt because I want to honor those children. Right. And so, and I mean, there's just, there's so much work to do and it's hard to know what to do. Because it's like, well, I guess I really have to consider how I vote because I want somebody who's going to deal with this seriously. And let's let's solve this issue once and for all because there's still big issues in how we are yeah. treating people that are our own citizens and who were here before us. And it's like, we can't even, can't even say, no, you lost the war. And so, you know, it's no, we, right. we went out of our way to mistreat these people. And so anyways.
2: Now I saw that on the news and I, it coincided. I was just reading a book um, on mm-hmm. reproductive justice and uh-huh. uh, it had specifically had talked about, you know, indigenous people brought into, you know, schools and, and everything like that. And just like forced sterilization of wow. huge, you know, just populations of people just to keep those numbers down. It was... Mm. A crushing crushing read but um now that that was devastating I saw that
0: and was that tied into Christianity too
2: um not not particularly it was it was a lot of colonization um it did have it came from the lens of um race and trying to keep things white you know and mm. Um, It touched on everything from the right to to have children, which was fascinating in the ways that people um, had been forced sterilization um, in the past, whether for whatever reason that they were deemed, you know, unfit to be able to have children in the future to the right not to have children and then to parent safely. And it was it was fascinating. And there was a lot that really challenged how I felt and what I thought, you know, but it was it was a good read.
0: Yeah, and that eugenics was really big too, right? Mm, Where they mm-hmm. were doing that to people who were um, had Down syndrome yeah, or exactly. other mm-hmm. disabilities. So but it's like let's let's lead the way as the church yeah. on these issues. You're right. And because I mean like in the past we haven't shown leadership. We've been so I guess manipulated by culture. But i almost think sometimes the church has been leading culture down a bad path too and so it's you know this love of enemies is not evident and i think maybe that's the place to start because like we're living in polarized times where we have people divided into like a two-party system and it's like well i'm this therefore you guys are racist and we hate you. And then it's like, well, I'm this and you guys are baby killers. Therefore, I hate you. And it's like, there's no conversation between the two. So wouldn't it be amazing if the church was the one place where there is no two-party system, you know, where we're united by Christ? Just a thought.
1: That's me. I'm, I'm the politically homeless one over here. <laughs> That's my jam.
0: It's gotta be really hard to be politically homeless.
1: It is. It is. Like people accuse me of being a coward. People accuse me of all sorts of things. And you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, you're just a Trump supporter. Oh, you're just a Biden supporter. Like, no, I don't I didn't like either of the guys. Like yeah. and and I'll tell you exactly why. Well, you're not voting for my guy as a vote for the other guy. Like, no, it's just me not voting for your guy or the other guy. Um you know, I voted for me. Well, that's not a real vote. Uh, the United States federal government took it. Um, you know, uh, somewhere my name is written down on a ballot. Um, but, wait, uh, do you
2: really vote for yourself?
1: This year I did. Yes.
2: That's so funny. I,
1: I, <laughs> oh, I really God, had problems funny. with both candidates and I just like, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to be politically homeless and to forever be such. I mean, I'll probably swing back to the other direction for the next election, but, uh, Maybe not, maybe I'll keep it. Maybe I'll keep things spicy,
0: you know. <laughs> you know, honestly, I think I think my vote because every every time the election comes up, I'll be just like,
1: "You know what? I think
0: I'm just going to sit this one out." Right. And I remember somebody saying to me um what's his name? Something Bradley. He's he's an author anyways. He's written for relevant magazine, but he he said to me, he's like, "Well, that's a real sign of your privilege." I'm like, what? And he's yeah. like, well, you think if you don't vote, it's not gonna make a difference to you. Maybe you should consider voting on behalf of someone for whom it would make a difference. Hmm. So I'm thinking next time I vote, I'm gonna vote on behalf of Canada's indigenous people.
2: I like that.
1: I mean, but that presumes what you under that you presume to the position that must be monolithic to those people. I would imagine those people are even in their position, whatever it is, is pretty diverse. Some of Oh, certainly. Color- but if no, I no, okay. listen to that community and understand right.
0: who they believe right. as a majority, who they believe is going to be best for them.
1: Well I mean, people say that about minorities in America, and yet yeah. this past year more minorities in America voted for the orange guy than for than it ever in the history of voting. So like you know, I, I think it's very presumptive for anybody to guilt trip somebody else into a, uh, broad brushing with a monolithic narrative that voting one way must be a vote for that other for those people because uh, you know, there's a number of people that would radically disagree with that amongst those people that they claim to be like, to me, that's just the white, li- I mean, not to get political, but that's white liberal <laughs> guilt tripping, you know, where white liberals presume to speak for blacks and more than blacks, even will on certain issues.
0: I like, don't, the I'm, I'm the not going to shame people into voting. Right. And I'm not going to be shamed into voting. I vote the way I vote absolutely people vote the way they vote so
1: it's
0: a non-issue for me
1: but we don't get political
0: (laughs) but we don't get political um it's funny um one of my one of my friends on um on uh twitter uh doug bursch fairly spiritual yes he made this joke about like he basically was joking about like is there somebody who teaches humility is there (laughs) classes that you could teach on humility And it was funny because it reminded me of like the episode of the wax museum that I just released on the book, the road to character, um, that I read, I guess, five years ago now, and it just really got me, um, down a rabbit hole of just trying to understand what humility is. And it was through the stories of like people like, um, Dorothy day, um, uh, President Eisenhower, President Franklin Roosevelt. And there's just a series of all these different people that, you know, he goes through the lives of them. And um, it was really interesting because there's like a study. (laughs) And I quoted this on the podcast with notes in front of me, because I've (laughs) quoted this study so many times, but it was kind of like in the 1950s, They did a study and they asked high school students, are you an important person? And 12% of them said, yes. Hmm. Repeated that study in 2005. And it wasn't 12% that said yes. It was more like 80% said yes. Hmm. And it's like, so what what has happened as a shift in our society? And if you go back to the 50s, I mean, obviously the 50s had a lot of problematic things going on. um but within that culture you know this is the what we tend to call the greatest generation and they were a generation that was taught not to talk about themselves Hmm. and you know like there's stories of like george w bush or george h bush bush and when he would write a speech he'd always think about how his mother would say don't ever talk about yourself and he would go through and mark out, like cross out anything that said I in it, right? Because he's not allowed to talk about himself. And, but if he, if he forgot to do that, his mother would call him and say, George, <laughs> you were talking about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just, it's just neat little stories like that. And like learning that it's like more than anything, you know, when I am creating something, when I'm working as an artist, I want to get out of the way Of my work right it's like i want my work to speak for itself and i think that that is a way of humility and it's the same thing with parenting it's like i want my child to be the best version of themselves they can be it's not about them looking good so i can look like a good parent it's like i'm wanting them to be the best them they could be so again i want to get out of the way for that process right and so and so Yeah, so I mean, like, and it's, it's been tricky, because over the last five years, it's like just growing in that understanding. And so when I anyways, I I replied to Doug, and I said, this is a really good book. It tells stories of all these people. And then Doug's like, I think probably the best way to teach humility is to tell people stories about (laughs) wise people, right? Because like, for me to say, this is how you be humble. It's like, what.
1: I I was really hoping that was going to be the path to teaching humility because that's what I was going to make my podcast tomorrow about about how I can teach you humility.
0: Three easy steps to humility.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's funny too, because you realize that like false humility really rears its head um, Mm. in so many ways. And a lot of times it's just you saying like, I don't want people to think I appear prideful. And so you've got all these instances where like somebody says, wow, Bethany, your singing was so good Sunday. (laughs) And then you're like, oh crap, what do I say?
2: Do you read my journal? Because (laughs) that's quite seriously, like I just, I usually just like, oh, thank you. It's a lovely song. Like I try to, you know, like, oh yeah, they wrote a lovely song, you know, just, or, you know it's one of my favorites or that's, it took, yeah. we, we go we've gone to our, our church for like eight years uh-huh. and I think it took me five or six before I was finally like, I sing, who, who do I talk to about this? Because just saying like this is a thing that I can do and would like to serve in felt mm. so prideful and that mm. there was a lot of indoctrination in like where yeah. I grew up like pride was the worst thing but everybody yeah. was really prideful but it was like the biggest sin in the world and I just yeah. I felt weird and it took a lot it took um to to be honest it took my mom's passing because she sang for oh, years and years thank you um she sang for years and years and she didn't in the later years of her life and i know that she missed it yeah. and i have just felt this push of like she's not here to even do that and i feel yeah. like i need to keep that going somehow yeah. like that just gave me that little push of like okay i have to do something yeah. with this and you know it yes taking compliments is terrible or anytime there's like a, does anybody want to handle this song or that harmony i can't do harmonies but does anybody want to do this yeah. can you do the upper notes and i'm like I can, you know, just it yeah. it took a lot. And now yeah. I'm just more comfortable and like, yeah, I got this. It's fine. You know, just yeah. confidence rather than pride, it's still a balancing yeah. act for me.
1: I think, so, yes, you read my mail there uh, because I think confidence is definitely the key word. Because I think,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, we think of humility and it's always becomes a self deprecating thing that people engage in when it comes to like, you Which know, is not, and it's false not. And it's not. Humility. Like, yeah. it's false uh-huh. humility. And it's like, I think, a, a true i like the phrase humble confidence uh, mm-hmm. that, that you have this quiet humble confidence about whatever it is that you're about um and you don't need to you know somebody says something bad about you or whatever you don't need to defend yourself you're, you're yes but it's like at work you know i know i've had some people at prior employer badmouth me i never defended myself because yeah. my work spoke for itself yeah uh, um and I, stuff like stuff. if i wanted to sit there and point to my quality or my production numbers i could have um oh, yeah. uh, and you know and somebody like thinking i was cutting corners and be like i was cutting corners i'd have been caught by now um <laughs> uh but you know so like uh, or or when it came to knowing somebody was wrong about something i didn't have to speak up because uh, just to show that i knew that they were wrong yeah i just quietly be just like As if somebody asked me I'll, I'll let them know. Um, and this yeah. is why this is right, you know. Um, but I didn't ever feel the need to be in a defensive posture or an attack posture about whatever it is I'm about because I just like, you know, I know I I know what I'm made of, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know who I'm about and what I'm about, and I've been through enough stuff in my life that um or personal or professional that when it comes to certain points, it's like I can just let things be. Um because i have that sort of you know humble confidence about right. a situation it's like a master carpenter or something like you know like or i could sit there and think about my father or my father in law who are fantastic uh, with tools and trade type you know work with your hands type stuff they know how to build and destroy everything and rebuild it all over again and you know there i had lots of teachable moments and i still have lots of teachable moments you know, when my father-in-law comes and helps with something. Um, and he's just very quiet and calm about it. And he's just like, oh, try using this. And he'll sit there and watch me struggle and sweat and pass out yeah. and, and, you know, bang something half to death. And he's like, no, wait a second. Let me go back. And he'll come back with a different tool that he really uses. He just wanted to see me sweat. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's it's like, but he, I like, he doesn't have to worry about me saying like, well, you know, Michael, or to my dad, like, hey, you know, dad, like, because they, they know I'm an amateur at the end of the day. Uh, and they're the exactly. one who the skill and they're competent in their skill and their work speaks to itself.
0: And you can learn from them by Absolutely. being humble, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm like, and I think like the thing to remember too, Bethany, when somebody compliments you, they want you to light up, right? They want right. you to be happy that you compliment. Right. Them. So what I what I taught myself is to just say, thank you.
2: I know. And if you could
0: just say thank you, it's it's such a beautiful thing because it's like I I remember um I remember when I was I was a teenager and I was at um I was at the mall and I needed 35 cents to make a phone call. I've probably told the story before, but uh I needed 35 cents to make a phone call. And I'm like, does anybody does anybody have any coins I need to make a phone call? And there was some homeless guy that gathers carts. And he walks up to me. He's like, yeah, here. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I can't accept that from you. And he looks at me. He's like, no, no, please take it. It feels good to help someone else for once. And so I I think about that a lot of times when somebody's trying to be kind to me, it's like, oh, I cannot rob them of this. And I think the most humble thing sometimes is to just be like, thank you.
2: Absolutely. That's true. Yeah my it's a double twist my love language is words of affirmation so i'm Mm -hmm. initially like yay but also oh no i must be like (laughs) so humbled but
0: yeah i like saying thank you for the kind words which may be
1: that's a good one
0: humble sometimes too i don't know (laughs) because it's like yeah you're being very kind this actually sucked but
1: (laughs) But you know to to take this story it's interesting because i did change jobs recently and i was on an interview And my the person I was interviewing with that ultimately offered me the job that I got, um, they you know were asking me to tell about my experience, tell about how good I was, Um, and I got to the point in the interview I was like, well, not to brag, but I'm going to do it anyway because this is an interview, so I'm I'm going to I'm going to shout I'm going to toot my own horn to you, Uh, and then the the lady that I was interviewing with my manager she just laughed hysterically. She's like, oh please. Do tell about yourself, and I was like, I will. Uh, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I think that but was a. Good, I, right, but I think that was a good moment because I was able to take my professional accomplishments and wave it not in a braggart sort of way, but just say, this is who I am. Yeah. And this is why I think you should pick me. Yeah. Um, and it worked out well. But if I just like downplayed my accomplishments and you know, not said much about myself, that would have been, that would have been arrogant of me um, to to dismiss my experiences. And um, I should be proud and confident in who God has made me to be. Uh, I shouldn't ever be ashamed of that. And I think too often we are taught to almost be ashamed of who God has made us to be in uh, his image and likeness. And God is great and glorious. And well, so am I. Uh, <laughs> well,
0: I. I think, and I think part of it too, is being able to give space for others. Cause it's like truly confident people give confidence to those around them. Yes. And so like, and that requires giving airspace to other people. And I'm trying to work on that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause it's like, I need to be able to let them have a time to shine too. But I just get so excited about all the stuff I want to share. And it's not, it's not like, because I feel like I'm just so brilliant and I'm the one should be saying this. I just get really excited about all the ideas I have. Cause I'm like, <laughs> this is a really cool thing I read and wrote to character and it's so cool. Right. But, right. Um, so I was listening to this podcast and this guy says something that really rocked me like really stuck in my mind. And he was talking about when you get really good at lying Learn to ignore cues that your body's giving you. So it's like when you lie to someone, you're thinking, oh crap, my face is turning red. And so you train your body so that your face does not Mm -hmm. turn red. And so if you became like a um, really good liar, you become more and more disconnected from your body. And Mm -hmm. I was like, holy crap, this explains religious trauma. Because you're living a lie.
2: Mm. Oh, more. Tell me more.
0: And you're completely disconnected from your body. Uh. And so when people talk about, like, I think it's Jamie Finch who talks about embodiment. She's going to be coming out with a book. And I'm like, I'm really intrigued to read that now. Because these guys were not even talking about religious trauma. But I kind of made that link in my brain Mm. when I was thinking about it. I'm like, holy crap. Like, if you were completely living a lie for, like, 20 years, how disconnected from your body would you be? because you're continuously convincing yourself. Nope. My feelings, my feelings don't matter. My feelings don't Mm -hmm. matter. Nope. I got to do what the leader says. Right. And so anyways, I'm like, I'm intrigued by that notion. And I want to text
2: somebody right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want to get more connected with my body. And I think that's through mindfulness. I actually, I did a TikTok on this and I talked about like, what i think mindfulness is and it's not necessarily just like you know meditation and it's like which i've done a little bit of meditation and it's pretty cool it's almost like being on morphine it's pretty awesome which i've done in the hospital um <laughs> when i had my appendectomy and morphine's awesome and i love it um
1: tell us but, more
0: but <laughs> yeah but um another thing that i've been doing is just going to my backyard and like i'm normally like stimulation all the time. I'm either listening to music, podcasts, or I'm watching Netflix or whatever. I'm always like full-on stimulation. But I'll go to my backyard, no music, no podcast. And I'm just going to go around with my little trowel and dig dandelions out of my backyard. That's crazy. And that's my moment of mindfulness. (laughs) It's crazy. Just be
2: in there. All right.
0: Because I'm never in the moment. Like I'm always just like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm doing a boring work task. Cool. I'm going to get caught up on the blah, blah, blah podcast. Right? Like yep. it's. And so, but I, I think that there is something to being in the moment and how you can actually start paying attention to what your body's doing. And you can be more honest with your body and let your body tell you when you need to rest, when you need Sweet. to eat, <laughs> right? There's just all those things. Cause we get out of the rhythm of our bodies by living lies. And I think even being out and about, you know, at work to a certain level, you're trying to carry yourself in a certain way in front of a client. And it's like, you're lying to your body there too.
1: Hmm.
0: So it's like, so finding that way to reconnect with your body, I think would be so healthy for us mentally.
2: I like that. That's good.
0: Yeah. It's not a fully formed thought, but I'm just
2: It's I don't know
1: what to do with it. All
2: like. the thoughts are going out. I like that.
0: Good. <clears throat> okay. Here's another one. <laughs> okay. So as an NERM 4, um, yeah, we're both very emotionally based, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about, like, why do I love depressing music so much? Why <sighs> Why do I love sad, depressing movies so much? And um I was I think I must have heard somebody talking about why people cut themselves Mm. and it's like this idea that I can control my pain Mm -hmm. so instead of feeling all these emotions inside now the pain is right in my arm right here I have control of the pain Mm -hmm. and so I was thinking that might be it so I'm listening to this sad music because now all of my pain has gone there and I have control okay. of it. I'm not I'm not dealing with these emotions I can't control. I've decided to be sad sucker.
2: <laughs> huh. Okay, I get that.
1: It's like a breakup music. Like people mm. go through a breakup and they put on the most sad, depressing love songs of all time. Yeah. And helps them get it out
0: but I also I guess I have a sense of like you know like like um, Bethany was saying where she was like reading that whole thing about like um, reproductive justice right
2: right mm-hmm. and
0: you're reading that because it's like you're gonna you're gonna get sad about it but you're getting sad about it for a purpose. You know, like you feel like now I can share this with people and I can somehow help fix this problem, but first I need to feel really sad about it.
2: Right, right.
0: And, but it's like, it's like, it's like that empathy kind of becomes a superpower because it's like now, now I've got the um, inspiration to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And I can share that sadness with other people and we can all be sad and then we can figure out how we're going to solve this problem because now I'm I'm living in this sadness, right? And I mean, like, it's just there's so much of that there. And my heart will go to all these different places where I'm just like, okay, I need to have a depth of sadness and I have a depth of sadness right now for our indigenous people. And I'm like, I want to understand this more. Um, I found a podcast that's all about indigenous history and decolonizing our language Mm -hmm. because there's like words like residents or reserves. Right. And it's like, what does that even mean? Like, like from a white person point of view, it's like, oh yeah, this is all the land that we reserve for these people. But it's Mm -hmm. like, these people used to like roam all of the land. Right. Then we set up borders and said, yeah, you can't go here anymore. Right. And it's like, huh, that sucks. Right. And, um, even like, you know, discovered, you know, white people said, we discovered this land. It's like, no, you made contact with the indigenous people. Let's use the word contact, Mm. not discovered, right? And so there's just a lot there and it's just kind of reshaping, you know, the way you see things. Cause it's like, I wanna see it through their eyes. Like, I just, I love seeing the world through different people's eyes and then trying to understand, okay, so what can I do? And it's it's funny that, you know, like people will label that as like white guilt. And it's like, Mm. no, I I don't feel bad that I was born with this skin color. It's like, I I look at this and say, okay, so I know that there's things I haven't experienced that these people have. And so, so what do I do with that? Right. And it's like, what are things that I have that they don't, that I could help them get right? Like it's, there's Mm -hmm. just all of that. Right. And so, yeah. And I mean, there's different theories about how to get there, you know, and without getting political, I mean, like some people think, you know, it's just like, let's just, let's do equality of opportunity um and then there's like well let's do equality of outcome right like i and so yeah there's a lot there but it's like that's just yeah. that's where my brain's at right it's like i want to use sadness for a purpose
2: but the four and the sadness i hadn't thought of it with like you know the funnel of just no i have all these feelings and if i can hmm. push them all into that then it's sad about that and it gets it out but i was initially I was like oh no it's like a uh, you know sensory processing disorder we're like mm. oh I'm not getting enough of that sad feeling like I have that space hmm. that needs to be filled if I listen yeah. to this sad song I can fill up that like little emotional jar and feel better my uh my daughter had some sensory processing stuff and every now and then yeah. we'd have to like oh you're seeking we got to hug you and like shake you just a little bit you know so mm. that you got that feeling <laughs> just a little she wasn't a baby but, <laughs>
1: but she, was, she, was like, a visual.
2: she was three or four it was fine <laughs> but yeah just just a big hug just to like now and she would then calm down because she got whatever it was that she needed and every now and then mm. I'm like oh I wonder if, if four would do that as well of like man I've got this itch and it's like just to get really deep deep into that feeling but if I put on this song I can get there and I'll feel better you know maybe it's maybe it's both
0: well and part of it too is like I realize if I'm not empathetic toward other people I become so self-involved and I'll get involved in Mm. self-pity but that kind of made me think too because I'm like I remember getting annoyed with whiny people right? I did a TikTok on this today. And I was just like, you see a whiny person that's like, oh, I just got food from Basta pizza and they didn't give me a fork. (laughs) Why? Why does this have to happen to me? Right? (laughs) And there's just like people that whine over little things. And I sit there and think that's so immature. I'm an adult. I'm just going to think that in my head and never tell anyone that. (laughs) And then all that stuff's just going to compile to where I'm super frustrated, but I still can't talk to anyone because everything that's frustrating me is silly and I'm too much of an adult to talk about it. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, who's the unhealthy one? And I think the people <laughs> that complain about every little thing are unhealthy too, but there's a sweet spot with it. Because yeah. you cannot just like not talk about your frustration ever. I'm and good.
1: I'm okay. That's what spouses fine.
2: and best friends are for. That's, that's right. out there for, that's the text of like, this stinks, but not TikTok, maybe <laughs> yeah. TikTok. I don't know what it's for.
1: Well, you know, I did I something know. a couple of weeks ago, um, where we ordered something from DoorDash and it ended up being like 40 minutes later than what we had ordered. And I complained about it online. Um, and you know, I had some people instant message me just like, you know, Some of us can't even afford to order something on DoorDash. And here you are complaining about your food being 40 minutes late. And I'm just like, yeah, I guess that's a little whiny of me. Um, But I think I have a realistic expectation that if they promise that my food is going to be here at a certain time, that it actually show up like they promised and that it not be cold and then I'm not having to reheat my food and all that stuff. Or we were at the beach recently and um, decided to order breakfast uh from uh panera and ordered some bagels they said these are the bagels we have i selected them and then they called me up 40 minutes later and said uh yeah we don't have those bagels what would you like to do i'm just like man i really wanted to complain about that but after having complained a couple weeks ago i decided no i'm not gonna do it again i deleted my post on social media about it but um i missed it man Yeah, (laughs) part of me is like, yeah, maybe it is a little whiny of me, but at the same time, I feel like I have, they set the expectation that they promised to fulfill my order at a certain time. And I understand things happen in the world, but it seems like the problem was with their process and not communicating um, that things had changed midway through, like, because they decided to pick up an order and go somewhere else in town before they Went and dropped off my food. I didn't know that was going to happen when I originally ordered my food. Um, you know, See, I, I typically
0: thought... wouldn't complain at all about that. I'd be like, "Okay, just heat up my food." But it's like a right. series of frustrations, though, right? right. Where you where you um, don't talk about them. But I mean, I think there's some things you can laugh off too. Like right. it was so funny. I was at this uh, work site. And I had to do like a bunch of radiation testing. You know how that goes, radiation testing. And then, um, and then these guys were gonna do some tasks, right? Where they were gonna like open up the pipe and do some sampling of some of the oil or um, do a filter change or whatever. And I'm like, hey, so, so when I'm done all the radiation testing, can you guys do some tasks for me? And I'll just put samples on, what, samplers on while you do it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll do anything. Yeah, whatever you want. Cause I listed off what I think we could get or whatever, right? So then I called like the office person. I'm like, hey, these guys said they would do whatever I want. Is there something in particular they want? I'm like, yeah, whoa, I'd really like a filter change. Like those are really nasty. I'm like, okay, cool. So I go back, talk to the guy and I'm like, okay. So you said that I could do, you you guys could do any task I want. So we were asking about, uh, I want to know about filter changes. And he's like, oh, we can't do anything but but sampling. Oh. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like it was the same guy. Like it was the same guy I talked to. And I was like, it was just the funniest thing. And I was like, that's hilarious.
1: Words have meaning.
0: And I mean, it didn't, it didn't wreck my day. It just was funny. I was like, I, I don't know what happened there, but something
1: cold fish doesn't reheat very well though. John cold fish. No. No.
2: Reheat. No.
0: Yeah. That did you not- like, did you complain to the company? Like, did you talk to them about it?
1: doordash doesn't really make a way of complaining to them about it it just goes in i mean you can are they kind of
0: like uber where it's just like everybody's their own independent person yeah
1: it is Mm. and you can leave somebody a bad review i'm like i'm not gonna leave somebody a bad review um you know because they only took the second order because doordash said hey there's a second order in the area you know so So there um,
0: really wasn't anywhere to complain but social media and and yet, those people I mean, I away I from I could have
1: emailed them and they would have gone into a black hole because they would they care this much. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not gonna like I, I understand these people work hard. Um and I always try to tip extremely well when I do DoorDash. Like, you know, sometimes it ends up being half my order, um, just because I like I know what it's like to have to do jobs like that. And you know i'm in a position financially where i'm blessed to be able to you know shower people with a good tip um and not think twice about it but uh you know so it's like i'm but i'm not gonna ding this person this person's just trying to make a living i'm not gonna fault them for taking a second order. um part of me is like it'd be nice if doordash had a feature where they're like you know be an exclusive premier no stops in between delivery sort of feature to where if you pay five extra dollars a month, we guarantee that your driver won't stop at somebody else's on the way to your order. You know,
2: DoorDash that would, premium,
1: right? Like some sort of premium surge pricing type thing. I'd or pay rich for. people like Jimmy, right? For my <laughs> bags over here, but no, it's like you know, because sometimes like stuff like that, it's like if it's like we. When I broke my leg a couple of years ago and my wife and I were trying to figure out how to celebrate our anniversary because I couldn't go anywhere, we ordered some food from a really nice restaurant. and We thought, oh, we'll get it delivered. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden our $100 meal becomes craptastic because it got, you know, it, they had an extra delivery along the way. It was 40 minutes late again. And it was on the opposite side of town. And it's like, man, Insult to injury here. Here I am on a broken leg, not able to move. You know, I need somebody to help care for me. So my wife couldn't just, you know, go get the food. Um, And so we ordered on DoorDash and just had, you know, it was already bad enough that I was gimpy trying to celebrate our anniversary, but to have cold food from a nice restaurant and we're trying to figure out how to reheat, like, you know, it was tough. I I get it. It's, it's, we live in a sinful broken world. Uh, and. (laughs) It's like my my suffering's a joke over here, right? My food
0: is past the age of innocence right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, but it could be food poisoning. I mean, you know. Well, I mean, realistically, if you had food that sat at a certain temperature for a certain period of time, you could get food poisoning from
0: it. Yeah, that's true. Um, So, okay, so one one quick little anecdote before we end here. Have you guys ever watched the show Nathan for you? never heard of it. Nathan Fielder is a Canadian comedian. And um, he he does this show called Nathan for you, where he helps businesses that are struggling. Some of them aren't really struggling. But he just basically, it's always like a half baked scheme. So there's this pizza place. And he says, I want to help you guys sell more pizzas. So he has this idea where he tells the pizza company to guarantee eight minute delivery to anywhere. Mm. And if, if they are later than eight minutes, they get a free pizza. But the free pizza is like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it's like four inches wide, three inches wide. And so it's just so funny. Cause like every time it shows like the pizza guy, Going to deliver, and the guy's like, "Hey, that was that was more than eight minutes." And he's like, "Well, here's your free pizza." And the guy at the door is like, ready to punch the pizza guy. It, oh, it's so funny. Anyways, all right.
2: I would watch that. That's good.
0: It's so great. It's so great. There's a there's one where uh, there's a yogurt company, and he um, like one of those frozen yogurt places, and his idea is for them to come out with a controversial new flavor poop flavored yogurt (laughs) and people are like lined up around the block to try this new flavor yeah and it's so funny because he calls up like this flavor company he's like you guys say you can do any flavor i want and they're like yes we do we guarantee we can do any flavor you want he's like okay this is what i want (laughs) oh no and then he has a focus group and the focus group is like they're all trying this yogurt. They don't know what it is, right? And then he's like, "Okay, can you tell us what what it is?" And one person's like, "Well, I I could taste licorice, or you know, or whatever, right?" And then there's this one lady that's like, "I I think it's what poop tastes like." But then he's like, "Um, have you have you tasted poop before? <laughs> it's really important. It's really important that you tell us whether you have it or not. Like, can you be honest?" like really important for the research <laughs> that we know whether you have or not <laughs> anyways great show Woo. it's very inappropriate and very, very. anyways thanks for hanging out on a friday night this will be out on a saturday cool um, thank you for listening if there are people listening <laughs> <My> <laughs> dad will listen.
2: Bye, everybody. I'm a real
0: boy. (laughs) com. Catch you on the (laughs) flippity-floppity. Thank you for listening to ADD Masterminds. We would love to keep you updated on what we're up to, as well as share some hilarious memes. We'd also like to hear from you. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. smudge